Arabella Weir from Two Doors Down joins us on this week's How To Be 60 podcast, and she had a very straight answer when asked what she liked best about turning 60. Losing my sex drive. I mean, that's got to have been the best thing that's ever happened to me after my children. It's fucking brilliant. Uh, in the words of Kingsley Amos, it's like being unchained from a maniac. And I'm wondering how to be 60. It's scaring the shit out of me. So welcome all to another look at Life Beyond the Big Six O with me, Kay Adams, and the Courgette Queen, Miss <laughs> Karen McKenzie, back from her travels, her Welsh odyssey, with her man, her dog, and a lifetime supply of frozen courgette meals. Who was it? How was it? It was fine. It was, yeah, the courgette meals were fine. And, Did you eat and them? Yeah, of course you bloody eat them. Oh, my God. Oh, hey, you and I have got a totally different life, right? Camping, I love. The idea that I prepare meals, probably on two levels, that I know what I'm eating then. I couldn't afford to eat out and have lunch every day on a holiday because I like to go away a lot. And therefore, part of camping is make your own meals. So there we are. But uh, I mean, come on, sitting in the back of that camper van. Actually, what will we have, Stephen? Will we have courgette and feta fritters? Or they were lovely, were they? (laughs) They were actually, yeah. Uh Courgette and tomato loaf. I can't even remember what else. Do you know what? The meals fucking fine so just get off my back they were lovely they were lovely it has to be said the weather was brilliant and that probably made it a lot nicer you did get a good <laughs> run of weather it was gorgeous was it yeah the, the first campsite was kind of like a field it wasn't exactly five star i don't even think it was approved it was have toilets oh i did have a toilet didn't have a shower though oh so it was a bit top and tail i know i know oh, top and tail i haven't heard that for many <laughs> a long year Such a baby. oh my god but uh my dad used to wash me in the sink well and it was top and tail and, and i hope yes. he did my face before he did my bum because <laughs> i'm just thinking about I it no imagine if he started at the bottom and worked his way up well not your bottom bottom like your feet and then enough yes, enough yes quite so did you and Stephen top and tail each other no, <laughs> well, actually, there's a point that Stephen was sleeping in the awning because what well, you know what I mean. We do like to have a, and I'm not saying a drink, just a tipple, my 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 what you call it, gin, my um, I was going to say bramble gin, my rhubarb gin, and of course, if he has a flaming rhubarb gin or whatever, he starts snoring. So there's only room for two people in that bed. So it was Bonnie, well, two people, two bodies. So it was Bonnie and me in the camper, and Stephen was. He oh my god. Out. <laughs> so there wasn't anything going bump in the night then, eh? Not after the second night. After the third night, no. 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 And the first two nights were in that fucking field. So that is <laughs> not the, it wasn't the most romantic place. So Wales is lovely. Have you been? It, it is, but I'm a bit disappointed because I was thinking, though, how did you fill the long nights? You know, I was no problem at all. Well, the a bit of action because I got this email and bananagrams came out. Yeah, bananagrams. I got this email and I was thinking of you on holiday, uh-huh. you and Stephen in the camper. You know the hot weather and everything. And this has come in from Randox. Remember they used to did the COVID oh. thing, and I thought I'd pass it on to you. Oh, and they're saying it's Sexual Health Week, and they want to shine a light on the increasing numbers of sexually transmitted infections. For God's sake! And they the same partner. You're not likely <laughs> to pick up the same like no? all these. No, no, no. So you, it says, don't stress, just test. And I've, so I've saved you this. You can get a 12% discount on your <laughs> STI test this week. The most common STIs are chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis. <laughs> around. I'm sleeping. So there you are. Take that away with you. When I say sleeping around, it's in different areas. It's not with different people. Yes. Kick me to hell. 
<laughs> I'm absolutely fine in that direction. Thank you very much indeed. Did you use your vulva oil? You don't need it. I'm absolutely <laughs> fine. I'm in good working order. The question well, on everyone's oiled. lips is, how are your lips? That's hey, <laughs> boom, boom. They're in good working order. Thank you very much indeed. How are your own? Why don't you just try it? It was a present. Just tell us what it was like. Oh my God, Kate. You need Come to go on. to therapy. There's something wrong with you that you're so obsessed with my sex life. Do you have a sex life? There we are. I put it out there. Do you have a sex life, Kate? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to go as far as an embarrassing to say how. Often. I have been very busy. I've been entertained. I've been entertaining the nation on the Lex Women Tour. All right, so this is the excuse now. Yes, yes. Uh, oh, a wee bit of comfortable with this um, conversation. Yeah, like, I do have a sex life. Oh, hands on hips. <laughs> this slightly depends. <laughs> God, look at the body language. I just get tired. What can and I you say? get all red as well. Look, you, what? You're flushed. I know, I'm blushing. See, that's it. I'm, I'm like an ingenue. I am. What's an ingenue? It's a sort of a young, young. Don't make me choke. Don't make me choke. <laughs> You're not interested in much. I gave you, I got you free tickets for the Glasgow um, concert for the Loose Women too. You didn't even fucking show up. No, I'm sorry. I kind of forgot. How did it go? How did it go? 1,700 women there having a fabulous time. Oh I have to say, you know, very, very nerve wracking. You know what I'm like. I'm such a panic person. Oh, but there is something about like at Glasgow, 1,700 women and 50 men Wow! in this massive room. And it was, it's just kind of... Where were you on? The concert hall. Concert hall. Smutty belly laughs. I don't fucking go Oh, no, I, a bit of smart, a bit of just stupid... Churlish. Yeah. Bantering. Snottering. No, that's not my You don't like it? No, I mean, no. You're a prude right now. You're from the north of Scotland. You're so uptight. <laughs> that's the wee free in you that's coming out. <laughs> Because don't you be jibing at me, because we all know that you just put a hole in the bed sheet. I mean, we do. Come on. <laughs> I don't even know what that's about. I think the exactly. whole smart thing is fine. I suppose because you're with your mates, then it works. But I think if I'm watching that, I'm not, just not very good with You're so puritanical. You're right. You're just not good with funny things. It, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, am I? I know what I like. And when I like it, God, I'm full on. What makes you laugh? Good comedy. Good comedy. I'm what is that? Forward <laughs> speaking to Annabelle Levine, actually. Uh, yes, um, well, of course. Yes. Yes, yes, we'll get very good comedy. From no, that. no, no, I am. I mean, that is, that's, and I, I currently watch, um, well, not currently because it's not on just now, two doors down. Bloody love that. I love that. And it's uncomfortable in that funny way, but I love it. So, new um, series coming out on BBC One. I know. Mm-hmm. I need to find out when. So, um, anyway. Back to your tour. So it's going well. No, don't force yourself, love. No, sorry I didn't make it. Yeah, that's all right. I didn't make it. No, it was fun. I mean, there were two empty seats. Your friend um, Jane Moore turned into Joan Rivers. Was she there? Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, you might have been interested then. I would have come along to see Jane. Honestly. <laughs> you wouldn't come along to see me? I see you every flaming week. Oh, I've never met Jane. Ah, you didn't even tell me that. She was very funny. She turned into Joan Rivers. You know, like, Jane's right. always very kind of straight lace and all the rest of it. She told this story that just had me howling, but you probably wouldn't find it funny. Oh, no, I would if it was Jean. Oh, you did. But when she was living in Birmingham, like, just uh, when she was 20, 21, and uh, as she said, she was having a lot of sex, which was funny enough to hear Jane say that. I told she never says that kind of thing. That's funny, isn't it? And she was recounting this one time that she was uh, with this guy, right. and they were in bed, 
and a bit drunk and she said it just wasn't happening she she didn't know but she just it wasn't feeling right something was wrong and she kept her tights on (laughs) she didn't know they were on or she what do you mean she kept her tights on just with funny things everybody else do you mean she forgot to take them off or she she just drunk oh it wasn't happening so she'd forgotten to take them off (laughs) so no this is why people don't tell me jokes oh I know, I know, I know. I, I make no apology. I'm sorry. Well, I just, I made an apology. I'm sorry. I just don't get jokes. Right. And no, I'm not great, am I? No, thank Am I letting you down? I'm sorry. God, you didn't come. My God. Right. Oh, I'll tell you what, Denise Welsh, she was just making me giggle because I thought at school, you would have just been the naughtiest, naughtiest girl. And, and I loved that. I loved oh, it because she's 65 gosh, she's now. So open. You know, when you're looking at somebody, she's 65 and you think, I know what you were like when you were 14. Oh I just I take a joy out of that. What were you like when you were 14? I can't remember. I, I enjoyed school because I didn't work. So <laughs> never really got college. So what were you? Were you the... Um, Oh, I can just clown, were you the... Yeah, a bit of a clown with my basic roller stay presser skirt and my tartan. You know, I kind of that was my sort of school uniform, if you like, the white shirt with a bit of tartan and my dark green stay presser skirt. And a bit of a clown. Yeah. Yeah. You don't kind sound of very sort of acting up. Well, I'm not because I never stuck in at school. It's a bit of a shame, actually. I mean, God almighty, I left school straight into work. And then I remember going out with this bloke and he said, do you know, one day you'll realise that you actually need to learn more. <laughs> you need to kind of educate yourself. So I went to college then. God, he was nice. He was actually nice. I think he did it in the nicest possible way. Do you regret attractive. not sticking in at school? Eh? Do, do you I re- regret? Uh, yeah. And I suppose, yeah, I do actually. I do. I do. Because you would never know the way your life was going to turn out. Not, not that I'm not happy with my life, but I suppose... You know that way when you're then about 20 or 21 and people have all been to uni and they're talking about different books they've read and I'm thinking, oh, fuck, I can't even join it. You know, I can't join in this conversation. I feel so thick. And, yeah, that's the kind of thing that I felt. Oh, why didn't I? And, of course, nothing stopping me then going on to study. I think I didn't get my English higher till much later. And then I got my modern studies one. And then, I mean, I kind of gradually sort of kind of, Mm. but really, and then I think I I wanted to go into nursing. Did I tell you that? No. I wanted to be a midwife. And I spoke to my sister's very good friend, Elaine, who was senior midwife in London. And um, she just said to me, I'm going to say two words to you. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was all listening. Smelly fannies. What? So I I was put off the idea. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. Well, it can be edited out. Yeah, that's right. You could be under the swimming too with that kind of <laughs> language. Um, so, yeah, I kind of, yeah, just carried on at the BBC. Yes. Working with a lot of smelly fannies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say smelly. Well, there's but... another word I could think just, of that might, yeah. no, no, let's not go down there. No. Um, well, um, Arabella, we, I'm very intrigued to see what Arabella was at school. Well, not what she was, but, you know, the kind of person she was at school. Because I think, I don't know, I just like that. Were you a um, bit of a clever clogs? Um, bet you were. I I, I was a, a, SWAT, a SWAT slash clown. Oh. I was a clown enough to sort both. of try and be popular, but then I right. also wanted to do yes. my work. 
So yes. I was a bit of a twat, really. Um, but anyways, you see, Arabella Weir is with us and yeah. very excited about yes. Two Doors Down, yes. which starts yes. again. She plays Beth Beard. Uh, Beth Beard. Um, also made guest appearance in your favourite, Corey, uh, during the summer. Um, I didn't know that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, thank God somebody does the research. Um, she was also the insecure woman in the fast show, of course, coined the theme. Yeah. Infamous. Oh, my God. Does I my bum know. look big at this? Yes. Flaming heck. That's some clean fumes. I know. Well, we're going to speak to her after the email of the week, which is going to put your gas at a peak. Right. As I love to say. Go for it. Here we go. So I'm going to get this up here. Wait to see it. Um, so this is from Joanna. Uh-huh. She says, hi, ladies. My courgettes are almost finished now. Oh, they will be. But this one grew over the fence, discovered by my neighbours on return from their two-week holiday. I let them keep it. It weighed in at 13 kilos. A courgette? A courgette. Here's a picture of it. Oh, Look my at it. God. Look at that. It's enormous. It's like a big, massive pumpkin, and it's round on my poor It looks like a Base hopper. Oh my god! It's meant to be harvested about cricket ball size, and the variety of courgette is one ball k. She says, if you're interested. One ball k. <laughs> one ball. Hey, k. one ball k. I've known a few blocks like that. Thirteen kilos. Thirteen kilos. Look at it. It's like a little shop of horrors. That one is. Oh my god, that's incredible. So there you go. Well, I might next never year, reach more than five kilos next year when you're off camping. You can take one ball with you. One ball key. Yes, and you can <laughs> chew on it for goodness knows how long. One we'll speak key. to Arabella after this. What girl were you at school? I'm amazed you even have to ask. I was unbelievably naughty. Uh, I took enormous pride in being known as the naughtiest girl, one teacher said, I've ever had the misfortune to teach. Oh my God. And, of course, the entire class went, yay! I remember thinking, I'm sorry I've done this to this woman, but I'm taking no prisoners. I've got to be popular. I've got to be loved. I've got to be the naughty. I've got to be known as the naughtiest girl in school. I've got to earn my stripes. I knew I wouldn't earn them being the prettiest girl in school or the, you know, and I knew I wouldn't because I wasn't interested in academia. I knew I'd never get them. And anyway, who cares about who's the swattiest girl at school? Um, no one goes, oh, she's my friend. You know what? She's got loads of O-levels. Um, and so I got myself a legend and I was absolutely delighted with it at the time. I mean, now I sort of look back and I think, oh, fuck. But I was, you know, I was a very unhappy child when I got there. I'd been roundly rejected all over the shop, not least of all by my parents. So I knew that this was the place where I'd get, and I did, friends for life. The Two of the girls I was at school with are still my closest friends, 50 years now. And um, so I did succeed. In yeah. doing what I set out to do, which is to make a family for myself. And that was the only, I already knew I was funny. So it was like, uh, well, I'll do what, I, you know, I'll keep doing what I know I'm good at. And that's being funny and fearless. And how did your parents react to that? Well, my dad wasn't around. And my dad wasn't around. And my mother at the time was teaching there. And I remember, it's not like my mother. Uh, didn't deserve it because she was the most well, I mean she was my mother because she gave birth to me but in no shape or form was she a mother I mean that's like literally the role she got by giving birth but she literally hadn't got a clue and didn't care I mean one of the first stories I was they'd split up and I was about eight and a half and I said and my brothers were at boarding school so it was just me and my very little sister at this time 
And I said, what's for supper? And my mother went, how the fuck should I know? Oh, my God. And there was only the three of us in the house. And I just remember thinking, I mean, looking back, my mother, she was posh and she was very well educated and she had money, but she was mentally ill. She just hadn't got a clue. I mean, if you'd say things like, where's Lou paper? She said, why? Why would anybody ask me? How the fuck should I know? She just didn't. She hadn't got a clue. And um, she was from an intellectual family in Melrose and they'd had servants and she just hadn't got a clue. She just had not got a clue. Uh, But more to the point, because she was highly intelligent, she didn't think it was her job. She didn't think I've got these people who didn't ask to be born. Now that they're here, I better feed them. I better do stuff. She just thought, why why are people asking me? Anyway, she did get a job teaching sixth form at this school. And one of my proudest moments was I came back into the house. I was about 13 by this time, and I'd really hit my stride. She said, they were talking about you in the staff room. I couldn't hold my head up. I've never been so ashamed in my life. And I went, yes, um, thinking I th- she was amazed because I think she thought I'd be mortified. But, of course, what I was thinking was I'm a legend. And what's more, there's the bonus of my mother being, you know, my mother being upset by it. So it was a, a win-win. Wow. I know you're both looking at me sort of like, no, she's I know. I'm just wondering why your mother had children. Did she, she got married into some uh, whatever and she just was expected to have children. That well, she, I suppose a lot of people that generation were, weren't they? There wasn't really a choice. She was educated. Whatever class you were from, you were supposed to marry a successful or a man on his way to success and then be his, look nice in a cocktail dress and be his housekeeper and, and mate. And, you know, peer. And I don't think she thought of herself as having a choice. I think she was long-term depressed. And, I mean, she was an only child. And at her wedding, her father said to her, I hope you know how lucky you are. So she didn't exactly have sort of high self-esteem herself. She just had loads of children. Because I said, if you and dad, if you didn't like dad, why did you have so many children? She said, darling, I just had to look at it and I got pregnant. Um, So... I think that is true. I mean, as she got older, not all the time, but sometimes she'd have these flashes of sort of awareness and then we'd have really good conversations and I'd say to her, what do you think you were doing? And she said, I had not got a clue what I was doing with children as a mother. I just hadn't got a clue. And when I first started having therapy, she said, um, I came back thinking she'd be incredibly ashamed of this. I said, the therapist said, you made me your mother. And she said, yes, darling. And wasn't I lucky you were so good at it? And yeah, once she just sort of made me into the, I don't know, the adult, the coper, it was a very difficult relationship. And in no shape or form was she ever once my mother. I mean, a mother in the sense that I hope I've been to my children and that I would hope, you know, to model. Um, I think to be absolutely fair to her, she never thought of herself as having choices which in many ways she didn't, doesn't matter that she was educated. When she got married, it was, I don't know, 1951 or 1952. Women like that didn't go, do you know what, I won't get married, I'll just be an academic or whatever she was. Mm. Is that in some way making excuses? Because lots of people are born into very difficult circumstances, whether they come nominally with privilege or not, but something kicks in and... They love the kids, or maybe maybe we presume too much that every woman is born with a maternal instinct, and we shouldn't presume that. I don't think every mother is born with a maternal instinct at all. I can think of 
two women I know who've had children and chose to have children and neither of them are what I would regard and they're women of my generation you know with plenty of choices and all that um I think it's a big thing to say no to so if it's there you kind of do it you know being a mother if it, if it's available to you I think it's very easy to get pregnant by and large obviously there are lots of women out there for whom it's not but by and large and then you kind of think how hard can this be you know, it's the hardest job in the world for which you'll get the least rewards mm. apart from these people. Uh, yeah, no, the only thing I didn't, because I when I did my solo show, which was a play on Does My Bum Look Big In This, the show was called Does My Mum Loom Big In This? See what I did there? Mm-hmm. Um, I did a big interview and someone said, have you forgiven your mother? And I said, oh, I don't know how to forgive, but I understand her, but the only thing I don't, you know, this is a woman with privileges, money, and absolutely no social block to having therapy. It's not like she's off a council estate that go, oh, therapy's only for nutcases or whatever. And she chose not to do that because she had every possible access to challenge herself. And she absolutely wasn't going to do that. So, and lots of people she knew had therapy and stuff, but she went, no, not doing that. And you thought, well, no, because then you might have to challenge your mm. way of being. And she wasn't doing that. So, where was your dad in all of this? Not around. He was. Uh, he worked abroad uh, most of his professional life, and to say my father was hands off would. Um, he wasn't. It's sort of why are you asking me about lavatory paper, because that, that was sort of. It was just more like, why? Why are you annoying me? What are you sort of doing here? And I just think my dad wasn't, I think he wasn't, he was very ambitious and he was very successful. Uh, and particularly if you think of his background, you know, he was at Dunfermline High and he became ambassador, in the, you know, in the diplomatic service, which was pretty unheard of for someone who wasn't at public school. I, ju- I just don't think he was, that's not what he was interested in. He wasn't interested in his children. I mean, you've got an absolute lack of nurture there. I mean, I, what impact does that have on you? Um, I learned very early on that I wouldn't be protected by anybody except for my Melrose granny and the nanny that we had in Washington when I was very wee. She was unbelievably affectionate. They always say, don't they, it takes one person, like it takes one teacher, takes one person to go, you're special. And then, and even though I didn't live with my granny in Melrose, I mean, I'd be with her a lot in holidays, but I didn't live with her full time. She was unbelievably loving. And her and the nanny in America that we left when I was five, so I never saw her again. But uh, my, my Melrose granny obviously saw my whole life until she died in my late 20s. She went, you're special, you're wonderful, I think you're great. And I think I learned love from her, but I didn't feel I needed to be but with my parents and anybody else, uh, any other. I just knew that I had to... I'd never be protected. I mean, and that's literally true. I was sexually assaulted a couple of times when I was a kid. And I mean, not major, but, you know, willies out and that. And my parents, it was separate occasions because they were separated. They were broken up by that time. And they both said, it's funny because by the second time I knew my dad had said what my mother said, which is, you must have done something to make that happen. But that was what they both said. And I just remember thinking, I remember thinking, that's probably, I'm not sure that can be right, but it played into what I already 
knew, which was that I was annoying to them. And so if I'd gone to them with a, can you protect me from this situation, I knew they'd both go, no. Um, in in this way, not explicitly, but the implicit thing was don't come to me looking for parental protection or any sort of expectation of anything that you might expect as a kid. So, yeah, I think it made me um, tough, defensive, uh, needy, scrappy. I think I just always knew that I'd be looking out for myself mm. and, that, and that was that. So how how did that impact then on you in terms of you forming relationships, yeah. not just romantic relationships, friendships with your own children, et cetera? So when I went to school, I thought I'm going to make these friendships and they're going to – so I would say, and I think you'll probably find most of my friends would say, I'm an extremely good friend. I'm incredibly loyal. I know that's where my happiness lies. I know that's where my my real family is. I know that connecting – with people that I've been a good friend to. I know that you can get back what you put into a friendship. And I sort of thought that from the first day of school when I started making friends. Uh, What did I say to a friend of mine recently? I said, somebody clearly didn't like me on some job. And I went, and this great friend said, why do you care? And I said, because that's my job. I make people like me. And he laughed and he said, well, this person's not even worth it. So I, I made myself be a very good friend. And I think I am a very good friend. I've not been that good. I've had lots of boyfriends uh, and one husband. And I I can't, I don't know about the husband because we had children and that's a unique uh, set of difficulties uh, presented to a couple. Um, I've had some lovely boyfriends. I've had some real shit ones too. Mm-hmm. But that I would say, having had a lot of therapy that, you know, you go out with a shit one, and the first day is a shit, you just go, cheers, but not if you're me. You stay there trying to change him, trying to get him to love you, trying to be different. So I did a lot of that. And being a mother, and to her eternal credit, this is where my mother, who could be very funny and witty, um, she said, don't do that with my then two-year-old firstborn. And I said, you know what? Every single thing you did as a mother I'm going to do exactly the opposite. <laughs> and to her eternal credit, she said, well, then you won't put a foot wrong. Oh. And so she knew. And uh, so all I thought when I when I had children is they will have as much unconditional love. So I think they both think I'm a good mum. So Did you ever worry that you weren't going to be a good mum? I knew I'd be a brilliant mum because I knew that I would have at the forefront of my mind. And I also knew, to be absolutely fair to my mother, I was successful, I was financially independent, I already owned a home, so I was much more well-equipped. I didn't become a mother till I was 40, and I mean, I got pregnant at 39, thanks to evolution. As women of my age who have steamed past me by not having children, I was stroppy enough to ensure that, you know, I did take my baby as she was then everywhere with me. And on the rare occasions, but it was a couple of times, um, one was on the fast show and one was on something else. Someone went, oh, um, do you mind not having her here or something? I just said, are you married? Uh, Because, of course, I was stroppy enough. And both of these blokes went, well, yeah. And I said, and I bet your wife's at home with your kids. And they went, and I said, well, on you go. If you want to pay for a nanny, be my guest. But otherwise, she's here with me. And you can suck it up. 
It's funny, Annabelle, you, you, you've probably said six or seven times, to be fair to my mother. Yeah. Do you still feel obliged to be fair to your mother? I think I feel obliged to much more so than a man of her generation. I'd be unlikely if the roles were reversed to say to be fair to my dad as much, because I think women of my mother's generation who had all those privileges and were educated to that ridiculous level, but still supposed to do the same as the baker's wife, who'd not who'd left school at 16. She was still supposed to provide a meal for him, not complain, not talk about being depressed, not talk about feeling isolated alone with children. There was certainly no kind of mother and baby groups. There was nothing like that when she had small children. And what's more, you'd be widely regarded as failing if you said to people, I'm depressed, or I you, I dare say she wouldn't even have had the language for depressed, or I don't know why I feel frustrated and bored alone in a room with a two and a three-year-old all day long. I mean, funnily enough, my parents lived in America because dad was in the Washington embassy in the late 50s and early 60s. And then there was a little bit of the, you know, therapy and stuff emerging, but then my mother became addicted. That's what they gave bored, lonely housewives, amphetamines. They thought this was the answer. It made you thin and peppy. What's not to like? And my mother, they put my mother on amphetamines as a, you know, she had three children under three. Yes, she had a nanny and a cook, but, you know, she had no intellectual nourishment other than sort of going to, you know, embassy cocktail parties with my dad. So that's why I think I need to be fair to her because she had clearly phenomenal intelligence and opportunities, but just didn't know how to access them. I know I come from such a fucked up background. Well, I have to agree with you. I'm wincing. I, I mean, I'm, you've taken my breath away, to be honest. Can I mean, ask, was it the same? Like you've got number of siblings. How many siblings have you got? My parents had four. I've got a younger sister by five years and two older brothers. And then my dad and his second wife, who I adored. And to be, I'm going to say, to be fair again, she had nothing to do with my parents' breakup. And she and my mother got on brilliantly. And she, who was an exceptional woman, an English woman, she just said there'll be no... here. Did she manage to elicit some warmth from your dad? I wouldn't have said so. I mean, I think they had a good marriage, but Mm. my God, she put her... She was 21 years younger than my dad. You'd be amazed to hear. And uh, I think she felt very lucky to have got this uh, distinguished uh, high-flying diplomat. I mean, she was no slouch herself. But, yeah, I think my dad was luckier to have her than she was to have my dad. Look, my dad was very, very good-looking, incredibly witty, very good company, clearly very successful, very accomplished, you know, urbane, a real sort of catch, I dare say, but he wasn't very warm. He wasn't particularly loving. He could be very critical about everything. Uh, And she was, I think they were a match also because she was quite, could do better. Uh, One of my favourite stories was I went round to have a meal with them both, just literally a kitchen table. And my stepmother every night made a three-course meal for my father, right? And my father's mother was a golfer from Dunfermline. It's not like he came from Downton Abbey. And um, and this night, my dad, so my stepmother and I would talk all night. My dad would read the paper and have the radio and the television on at the table. 
So he wasn't part of it at all. And the only time he spoke was to look over his paper and he went, oh, bought pudding. Hmm. Obviously, you went on to become very successful. Did she take pride in in that? Uh, No, she mainly went, oh, don't know why you're wearing that and that show or whatever. No, she wasn't. It would be taking the piss mainly. That's what they did. They they go, oh fucking hell, saw you on the television. What are you doing in that show? Or and then when the shows were very successful, like the Fast Show and Two Doors Down and stuff, it was. Oh no, Mum's been dead since Two Doors Down. But the Fast Show, it would be that poor White House is great. Oh, I didn't like your sketch. Or did you see what they said about you in the Guardian? Oh. It was always that. So I would just mainly go, the more therapy I had, go, and don't talk to me about my shows. Don't, oh, you're so touchy. No, I don't think I ever felt. No, I definitely didn't feel. I mean, uh, this this seems a silly question because this is a very dark story you've told us, but did it in any way inform your comedy? Uh, Exclusively, I would have said. I remember that must have been very much what I was thinking as I began school. I know I can make people laugh, and I'd known that from we, because they were always going about me being too fat and not pretty enough and blah, blah, blah. I mean, my parents would say that explicitly. Uh, But I did know that I could make people laugh from when I was quite we. So, yeah. I will say this, though. I think women, I was very aware of this when I did my solo show. I think women being, let's just say for shorthand, horrible about their mothers, even if they're being funny, is much less well received than men being funny about their mothers. You know, because a man, you kind of expect your son to have a healthy separation from you in a kind of, oh, God, can't my, my mother walked in wearing a brown pants. Oh, God, my eyes are burning. Uh, and I think, I think I, I mean, the show was well-received and very well-reviewed and I sold out and everything. But I remember thinking, which is why I suppose I always say to be fair and qualify stuff, because I suppose from a feminist point of view, I need to, whereas I don't feel that about my dad. I think my dad was just... You know, you know, I loved my dad and we had a, an affectionate relationship, but that's because I made him love me, not because there was any unconditional love from him to me. Do you love your mum? Did I love my mum? Not really. No, I, mm, she could be very funny. I wanted my mum to love me. I suppose I loved her in that instinctive way that, I mean, children love the parents that beat mm. the shit out of them mm-hmm. because that's a sort of, yeah. it's in your... DNA. It's very hard to go. No, I don't love them. I, it's fine. He beat me up, so now I don't speak to him anymore. Um, I don't think you will ever, ever lose the thing of if I just get this right, they'll love me for who I am. I admired my mother. I she was in. Yeah, I mean, love might be. I cared for her, and I cared for her when she was dying, but. I, mm, I don't know whether I love. Mm, I know what love means. I sound like you know Tina Turner. What's love got to do with it? I wasn't. I didn't feel loved, and I don't think I was loved in the way that I would regard love as meaning. But I cared about my mum, and I, you know, I didn't want her to die alone. I didn't. I didn't have a kind of oh fuck it, she can just be. You know, I cared about her as a human being, and I 
but she did not do the best that she had. Neither of them, with given their considerable opportunities and intellect, did the best they could. Whereas sometimes you think, well, that this person's done the best they can with the tools they've got. Mm. Uh, and I, I think they had a whole toolkit and still didn't do the best they could. What has sustained you emotionally over the years? I mean, what has given you joy? What has made you feel good? What has given you warmth? Uh, it was funny listening to you two talk about sex because I don't believe either of you. I don't believe at whatever age you both are over 60, you're going, oh, can't wait to get laid. I did an interview for the live tune and it was something like, what's great about being 60 was the question. And I said, losing my sex drive. I mean, that's got to have been the best thing that's ever happened to me after my children. It's fucking brilliant. Uh, in the words of Martin Kingsley Amos, it's like being unchained from a maniac. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, looking back, I obviously was as promiscuous, and I don't mean that word in a bad way. I mean it in the, you know, the actual word it means. I was very, very promiscuous. I loved having sex, and I loved, loved, loved the feeling of boys fancying me, of kind of, you know, drawing, you know, um, what's they call it in fishing, you know, reeling them in. I loved all that. Yeah. Somebody wants yeah. seduction. Somebody yes. said to me, "You're a gay man trapped in a woman's body." And looking back, of course, a hefty amount of that must have been trying to get, trying to feel loved. Yeah. But a lot of it was also very nice sex, and that was great. And I've had a lot of very nice sex. Um, what did I say the other day? Uh, I don't want to fuck, and I couldn't give a fuck. Um, <laughs> so. And I don't know many women over 60. I mean, listen, we're not supposed to be doing We're supposed to be dead now. We're supposed to have had children at 17, be great-grandmothers by now, and then be dead shortly. I'm very glad I'm not dead. So why was it a blessing to lose your sex drive? Because once I'd lost, you know, once I suppose, what, 55 plus, I'd lost, not for everybody, but let's say a hefty portion of candidates, just because that's the way it goes evolutionarily, you know. There are fewer of them, fewer single men, as it would be in my case. I thought, oh, my God, I can't bear the idea that I'm now fishing in a pond going, hi, hi. Yes, I've got a super figure. I'm going to zoom. I mean, I couldn't bear the idea that I was trying to do what I was doing at 30 with fewer bits of ammunition and, you know, a lower percentage, you know, a lower strike rate inevitably. Uh, so when I suddenly... When I was divorced in my mid, bit early, can't remember, between mid and early 50s, first thing I thought, oh, my God, I've got to get a boyfriend and I've got to go on Tinder or whatever. And then I thought, oh, what if I don't? Uh, I mean, I was still up for a bit of sex at that time. But I suddenly thought, again, I want to pay homage. I know I did it, but, you know, I'm a financially independent person with a lot of great friends. So there was never a question of being, or for me, there was never a question of being lonely. But I suddenly thought, oh, do I really want to do this again? Are we supposed to talk about Two Doors Down? Well, oh, yeah, I'd love to. When is it coming back on? When can we see it? I think it's November. We've just finished series seven. Um, the new series is absolutely, I mean, it's terrific. I'm able to say that because I'm not the one driving the comedy. I know I have all the, but you know, I'm the foil. And um, it's great. And, you know, Elaine and Dune and everyone, Johnny, they're all at their peak. And Kieran, 
is yeah it's oh, it's a star i mean i know i know you're obviously acting so this is a crazy kind of question but given that your character is a kind of you know she's a bit put upon isn't she oh it's completely um and beth baird does it stick in your throat to play that character it must be so alien to you given the life that you've had it's very alien to me but it's very very familiar to me because that to me is a certain type of pretty ubiquitous generic mum uh, i won't say anything now come on that's enough i mean my granny and melrose was certainly like that oh that's that that's all the rowing we'll have now and Come on now and just, what are my granny and Melrich? Smiley voices. And I've got a couple of other very close friends whose mums are not like mine, you know, who are just kind of, no, come on, that's enough. <laughs> and the whole kind of least said, soonest mended, which is what my Melrose granny used to say all the time when my siblings and I'd be fighting. Least said, soonest mended. Um, that's very familiar to me. So that way of sort of oiling the day. Oh, fair, that, that's enough. Okay, right now, right. That was yesterday is very, very familiar to me. So, of course, when Dune and Elaine are doing their sort of, and Kieran and various people doing their sort of very over-the-top, I mean, brilliant, but, you know, those flamboyant sort of comedy bits, sometimes I think, oh, I wish I was doing that. Mm. But I like playing Beth, and it was it's my cross to bear. You so do. you were forced into rebellion as a child. Will you be a rebel till you die? Is that just the essence of you? Without a doubt. A rebel unhappy about it. I was not put on this earth to make things easy for people. I was put on this earth to go, no, fuck that, I'm not doing that. No, that's not happening. No, you can't do that. Final question before we do our big six oh bingo. You know, we always say in life, you know, it depends what kind of uh, hand of cards you're dealt, etc. Are you fucked off at the hand of cards that you were dealt? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I would love to have known what it was to have protective parents, but I, you know, I'd love to have known what it was to be thin. But you know, these things didn't happen. Thin, I could have got probably if I'd put some work into it. But um, no, I would say not because I wouldn't be who I am, mm. and I like who I am now. So I wouldn't be me. So there's no point in going, yeah, so I like myself and I think that's quite an achievement. Um, so no, not fucked off with the hand I was dealt with. Good. Go on then. Bingo. Bingo. Right. Yeah, Arabella. Give me a number between uh, one and 60. Uh, nine. Nine. If you could have had another life, what would it have been? Do you know what? I'd have, I, I might have liked to have been Jewish because some of the most loving people I've had in my life have been... Jewish peoples. And okay, not Roman. I'd, I'd like to have been Jewish. Jewish, oh exactly as I am, but from North London, as I am, North London and Jewish. <laughs> okay. Give us another number. 24. 24, 24. Sentimental or facing forward? Both. I will cry, but that's partly my age. I always have done. I, I, Kieran is also my great friend, Kieran Hodgson. And he said, we were laughing about, uh, I said, do you feel sorry for Sainsbury's when they, when <laughs> They do a buy one, get one free, and no one buys them. And he said, yes. And I went, what is the fucking matter with this? You know, I sort of, you know, when someone comes a ping pong, why not, you know, um, um, butter is buy one, get one free today. And then you look and you think, no one's bought them. Oh, my God. You know, they they made that offer. And, oh, my God, nobody likes it. Shit, I must buy all the butter, um, you know, just to help them out. It's completely demented. 
so that is sentimental. And um, but I am very facing forward. Jesus Christ, with my life, I have to be. Because otherwise, I, I can be quite, I can get, I wouldn't say depressed because I think that's a disservice to people with real depression, but I can get quite low. So I have to be, right, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm going to do that because otherwise I know in the blink, give me half an excuse. I could be sitting in front of the telly at maybe not 10, but two o'clock with a bottle of wine and a packet of biscuits watching Judge Judy all day. I'd do that. In a flash. If some, if you took away all the social criticism of doing that, that's what I'd be doing all day. And the health aspect, that's what I'd do. I'd very happily sit in front of the telly drinking wine. Next week, Susan Cookson, a.k.a. Wendy Posner from Emberdale, joins us. Getting the job was a lifeline for her after she lost her beloved husband, Mark. We just love getting your emails. Tell us how 60 is turning out for you. Or if you're not there yet, how are you feeling about it? Or if you're well past it, how's it going? It's podcast at htb60.com.